The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the no-code trend in marketing. Joining us is Clark Ritchie, who is the Chief Technology Officer at FactGem, which helps organizations develop a deeper understanding of their key business drivers and their associated relationships to power revealing visualizations and drive new insights. Their no-code graph-based integration solution unlocks the value of data to drive faster results. And today, Clark is going to walk us through his views on why marketers rely on their IT teams too much. Okay, here's my interview with Clark Ritchie, Chief Technology Officer at FactGem. Clark, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, it's great to be on. Excited to have you on the show. Excited to talk a little bit about the overlap between, well, marketing and technology. This is, in fact, the MarTech Podcast. And there's a big trend that is happening with the no-code revolution. I hear investors are throwing money hand over fist at no-code companies Let's just start off by me asking, can I borrow $20? <laughs> In this economic time, that's tough. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> I don't even know how I'd get it to you. We'll take a check. It's fine. I'll scrub it. <laughs> but that said, you know, no code. I don't know if it's a new phenomenon, but it seems like it's an up and coming buzzword, dare I say. Talk to me about, you know, what no code is and, and how you think about it at FactJet. I think you're on point in that it's not totally new. I think for a long time, people have been looking for faster ways to deliver software, to build applications. I think, gosh, if you go back to the early 90s, even the WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get tools. We were giving people who build websites and things to drag and drop was really, I would say, the origins of what's become this no-code solution. I think the big difference now in the progression is you can have tools like ours that are not focused on engineers and just allowing them to build things faster, but can be focused on people who don't have an engineering background. And that's what we're really interested in, is empowering non-technologists to use advanced technology through a no-code solution to get to business solutions quickly. So it seems like there's two trends to unpack here. The first being a branding of the WYSIWYG editor, what you see, what you get, being called no code in some way to kind of rebrand some of the technology in an industry in the same way that artificial intelligence is a little bit of a rebranding for 
machine learning and you know there's some other ways that we can package things and call them ai even though they're not true artificial intelligence part of this is marketing for companies to try to make themselves seem modern cool and attractive and then on the flip side there's that second trend that you talk about where WYSIWYG you know i think of it as Wix and Squarespace, you can drag and drop the front end and build your websites, a front end user experience. And now some of the WYSIWYG functionality is being brought to the analysis and more the back end of your business to be able to do analysis, not just create marketing assets. Am I thinking about it the right way? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I love your comparison to what's happened in machine learning and artificial intelligence. I think that's really on point. It's very much like that. It's taking those concepts out of the realm of just design, where they fit very naturally, and applying them to more complex business concepts relating to how do we look at data? How do we move data from place to place? How do we transform data? So how do you take those more advanced concepts, but still present them in a very easily accessible way? It may not be simple because the business domain can be complicated, but they're accessible to people who aren't necessarily deeply rooted in engineering, but rather in that business domain. So talk to me about the WYSIWYG, the no-code functionality when it comes to data manipulation and analysis. Is this just a graphical representation of what your data looks like? You can drag one bar chart onto the other one and put them next to each other and click this box to take out this type of data and these add these filtering. I mean, is it a more user-friendly business intelligence tool, or is there actual different analysis that's happening? So it definitely depends on you know whose tool you're talking about. So the drag and drop and creating the bar charts and so on, that's very much in the space of like a Tableau, for example, who's done very, very well at providing uh, users with the ability to create those really complex and often very beautiful dashboards and interfaces for BI. At Factum, we're focused on things like 10-step earlier which is how do you get your data from all different sources connected in a way that matches how the business actually reasons about the data and then make it accessible to drive those analytics and eventually those visualizations and do so in a no-code way. So we're focused on the foundational aspects of that. Okay. So, you know, back in my eBay days when I was a young marketer kind of learning the landscape... There was a portion of the team, most of it was at the time what we called the paid search team, now it'd be the performance marketing of the PPC team. And one of the requirements for them was that they all need to know how to speak this special language called SQL. They had to be able to write code to get access to various types of data to be able to pull from multiple databases and aggregate them. And what I'm hearing is now essentially you're saying, hey, you don't need to know SQL, you could just say... Google, Yahoo, Amazon, FactGem, whoever we're talking to, give me my data in this format. Is it that simple or walk me through sort of the way it's manipulated? Yeah, I mean, essentially. So I think a lot of the challenge as a company that develops applications is really putting yourself in the shoes of your users. So in this case, we'll think about people running lines of business, analysts and so forth, and making sure that whatever they have to do to get from step one to an end step where they achieve some kind of meaningful ROI for their business, how can we make that as smooth and as easy as possible? And we believe that the first important step in that is really capturing the business leader's understanding of that domain. 
So like if we were to talk about, you know, MarTech, for example, and what you all do in that space and your relationships with people that come on your show and your listeners and advertisers and coworkers and so on, you could probably go to the whiteboard and you'd start drawing some circles and some lines and explain how you produce shows and shows have speakers and editors and there's advertisers and so on, because you understand that domain and you can express that very clearly and draw the picture that we could all reason about. That's where we start, is essentially letting you draw that model visually. And then I think most importantly is that is how your data then gets stored. So often in today's modern IT environment, business leaders will draw that picture and express it, but then we're forced by our tools to change that dramatically to fit the technology. And now what happens is the way business leaders and analysts reason about their data doesn't actually match the way the data gets stored. And that leads to this big impedance mismatch that causes friction within the business. It causes questions that analysts believe should be easy to answer are not easy to answer. Answers that you get don't always represent the reality you think you're looking at. So that's where we like to start off is really removing that mismatch. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. I've seen a handful of tools that are not necessarily doing a no-code version of this, but something I think it's relatively similar where they're aggregating all of the performance marketing data and mapping it to, you know, in e-commerce, let's say your cart data, right? Your your business, your revenue data. So Google says one thing and they're taking credit for 80% of your users and Facebook is taking credit for 70% of your users. Well, now all of a sudden you have 150% of your users. That obviously doesn't make sense. I hopefully did the math right there. And you need to consolidate and have a single source of truth from all of these data. That to me seems like the most obvious place where people are combining disaggregated sources of data to try to make sense of it. Is there a a no-code solution to take your performance data and then map it all the way through to the end conversion? Right. So that's a good example. There are, as you said, very specific products and companies out there that are taking specific silos of data, like your Google AdWords and your other ones, and, and combining them together. 
What we're doing is broader than that and saying you define the domain. In this particular space, what I see a time and time again, and really across almost every sector, is companies have a marketing database and they have a database of customers. And they're always separate because, of course, much as we like them to be, not all people that we market to become customers. And yet, it's really important for us to understand how does our marketing affect our customers? How are we marketing to existing customers? How is it impacting them? What's the conversion rate of people we are marketing to? When do they flip and become a customer? What do we think caused that? Do we lose them and so on? So the analysis between those is really important. And everyone, of course, wants to do it, but it's hard. And that out-of-the-box solution you talked about really doesn't exist because everyone's marketing database is different. Everyone's customer database is even more different. And yet, you can take someone within that organization who knows the business and they can say, oh, yes, I can look at these two sources and I could draw lines between them and I can explain to you that this customer here is the same person as in this marketing database. Those are great cases where we help people do that, again, with no code and give you that single place where you can do that analysis. And then, of course, keep going and build it all the way through your systems and all the way through your websites and your transactions to tile the sources of data together. So this episode is titled, Why Marketers Are Relying on Their IT Teams Too Much. The no-code revolution, let's call it, the trend for no-code tools to be developed and implemented is impacting how much marketers are relying on engineers, product managers, product marketing managers, data scientists. Talk to me about how this trend is impacting where marketers sit in their organizations and what capabilities they have. Most companies that are doing this, they're not by definition IT companies. Their largest department isn't IT. It's a number of other things. So IT is a very precious commodity. And having an ability like this, where you're still partnering with IT, IT is still critically important to maintaining the infrastructure and help keep everything running smoothly. But this takes a lot of that burden off of IT and allows you to place that workload onto the people in the line of business who are pushing for these efforts forward to drive a particular business outcome. So it's no longer the case where you might have six or seven business initiatives to produce a report or an analytic, all of which have to go through a very small IT department. Now IT can help support the larger infrastructure that includes these no-code tools. And your people who are running those lines of business who are working within them can develop on top of that infrastructure and build out their own solutions. So tell me a little bit about some of the requirements to implement no-code infrastructure. What's going through my head is that there's probably a scenario where operators in marketing are saying, I need my IT team to help me with this analysis, but I want them to implement no-code solutions so I can do analysis on my own. How do you prioritize those two things? I think the biggest challenge that I've seen is just getting both sides together and realizing this is a bit of a different mindset. First off, and I've been an IT person for a very long time, you have to make sure the IT people understand that we're not doing this because you're not doing your job well. doesn't mean that the IT department is failing us anyway. And we still need you. We're not trying to get rid of you or diminish what you do. We absolutely need you to make this succeed and to go forward. But we're trying to offload some of the work you're already having to do, but in a positive way. So it's still a team effort. A lot of times this can feel very threatening or it can feel like it's being done in some sort of a almost retaliatory way 
as if you don't have faith in your IT department anymore. And that really shouldn't be further from the truth. It's not that we don't trust you. It's that we don't need you. That's what I imagine the engineers are hearing. (laughs) (laughs) They do. And people get defensive, of course, because that's what people do for their livelihood. And we still do need them. So for example, even though I give you a solution that lets you create the model, lets you map your business sources to it, without having to know that magic language of SQL, well, you're still probably going to need someone from the IT department because when I show you a picture of what that database looks like, which first, by the way, you're going to need IT to tell you how to connect to it, you're probably going to need some IT department to translate those table names, to translate some of those column names into terminology that the business uses. So you're going to have to partner with them to do that. Then having that common understanding, you can now just drag and drop and not have to worry about writing the SQL and so forth. But you're also going to have to communicate your scalability needs, your quality of service needs. You know, how often is it going to be up? How many people are going to be using it? How much data is going to be there? All of those still common IT things have to be answered and met as part of that partnership with IT. So it's really just a slight realignment in how we're going about the same kinds of things. I think that obviously there's a communication component to this that you're talking about. And newsflash, engineers have feelings too. (laughs) When you're going through and starting to figure out how to work with your engineering team and whether you should prioritize no-code solutions, I think the idea is that you're creating operational efficiency for the engineering team, right? By helping you build out the infrastructure, they can move on to more strategic engineering problems. It's not that they're not going to continue to be, I don't even want to say a service arm, but a supporter of the marketing team. It's that you're trying to be more self-sufficient to allow them to go have more bandwidth and work on the bigger, more strategic problems that only engineers can solve. Absolutely. You're still going to have to have your engineering team focusing on those big problems. How do some of my big systems communicate? How am I handling real-time traffic to the website? How am I protecting our network security and so on? There's a lot of challenging problems in the enterprise still for which there are no no-code solutions at the moment, and very likely won't be for any time in the foreseeable future. This gives the IT department time to focus on those harder things, which honestly they want to do. A lot of this other type of stuff is not necessarily what they want to do. So again, someone who's built software for a long time, you can go and ask almost any engineer, hey, how do you feel about a project where you take stuff from a database and I give you a bunch of queries from a web page, and then you put it onto a screen in some kind of a chart? And they just want to die because there has been a million projects like that. And there's nothing that fun and interesting about it. But it's important to drive the business. I think the technical term is scut work. Yeah, pretty much. It has to be done. But if you can take a lot of that off their plate, let them focus on the bigger, harder problems, which include supporting your infrastructure for that. I think in the end, the business gets to where it needs to go much faster. And everyone's a lot happier. So we're going to dive into this topic a little bit more in depth and talk about the marketer's guide to becoming technically independent. In our episode tomorrow, we're going to continue this conversation with Clark Ritchie. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Clark Ritchie, the Chief Technology Officer at FactGem, for joining us. As I said in part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Clark and I are going to talk about a marketer's guide to becoming technically independent. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to get in touch with Clark, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Critchie, C-R-I-C-H-E-Y, also probably C. Richie. Or you can visit his company's website, which is factgem.com, F-A-C-T-G-E-M.com.
Just one link in our show notes that I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have contact information for all of our guests, episode summaries. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Clark Ritchie, the Chief Technology Officer at FactGem, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and check back with us tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.